Welcome to Shift, the podcast designed to inform and educate you about weight loss. In each episode, I will interview an expert in weight loss, from doctors to dietitians, as well as people who have experienced successful and long-term weight loss themselves. It is our goal to help all our listeners get the real facts and latest knowledge on how to lose weight effectively and sustainably, plus some inspiring stories to help motivate you to start now. I look forward to joining you on the journey. Hi there and welcome to Shift It. I'm so glad you could join me for today's episode. My name is Glenna Swinette, CEO and founder of Formulite, and today I'm excited to be talking to Dr. Catherine Backus, a general practitioner who specialises in bariatrics, the treatment of obesity. Catherine is the director and founder of Alivia Medical Weight Loss, based in Melbourne. I've watched Catherine's practice go from strength to strength, and her passion to support people in their weight loss journey is remarkable. However, that is a whole other podcast, and today we'll be talking about weight gain during menopause. Our focus today will cover the hormonal and physiological changes as well as the weight gain seen by some patients during this period. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Catherine to the podcast. Welcome. Hi, Glenis. Thank you. And it's great to be here with you today. Our pleasure. Thank you. To start, Catherine, can you tell the listeners a bit more about yourself and what you do specifically? Yep. So um, I'm Dr. Catherine Backus, and as you said, I'm the founder of Olivia Medical Weight Loss. We've got um, four sites, uh, three in Melbourne, one in Adelaide, and we support people who are trying to achieve um, weight loss for greater health and well-being. Um, and yeah, we really love what we do. We're passionate about what we do, and we've got a team of 14 doctors and seven admin staff now, so mm-hmm. um, we're really enjoying the work that we're doing with our patients. Fantastic. I'm also keen to hear a bit more about your story. Can you tell us what inspired you to specialise in the field of bariatrics? Yeah, so I think I had patients coming to see me who were were asking, what can I do to lose weight? And initially I thought it was, um, you know, lifestyle change, that that was the secret. And um, But then I realised as I researched more that it's not simply about just eat less and move more and that for some people they've got more of a genetic predisposition to, to weight and that really affects their appetite drive and, and cravings. And, and so as I um, become, began to understand more of those drivers, I realised that to just give lifestyle advice alone is often not enough mm-hmm. and patients often need more intensive treatment to manage their weight. Now, that's quite a niche speciality, and I, I get the impression that it is quite underrepresented in general practice. Mm. Do you find that the case? Or? Yeah, I think there's a growing understanding that, um, that obesity is a chronic condition, and GPs are becoming more aware of the drivers of weight, um, so nutrition and exercise really important, um, but there are physiological defences that happen when we lose weight that make it hard to keep the weight off, and I think there's becoming a greater understanding of that. So when we, you know, each person tends to have their, their set point of weight, that's a, a, a weight that our body tends to hover around, and then when we lose weight, the body kicks into um, what we call famine mode, and it tries to defend us against weight loss so that we can survive this famine that we're going through so we see patients you know um, their hunger tends to increase that sense of fullness after a meal goes down and our body tries to adapt by slowing metabolism as well so I think there's a greater understanding that 
like losing weight is difficult um, in of itself and keeping weight off is even harder. But I think GPs are starting to get more educated and understanding around that. Um, but certainly there are some GPs who it's not their area of specialty and they, you know, they might have other strengths in other areas. Um, but certainly there's more GPs that are having this understanding and that's particularly what we do in our specialty mm. clinic as well. Mm. It's great to see your team of practitioners expanding and these services becoming more accessible to patients. Mm. As, as we all know, the rate of obesity is growing in Australia. This puts a large strain on our health system and has a big influence on a patient's health and morbidity. Catherine, I wanted to start our discussion on menopause with the basics of female hormones. Can you give us a brief overview? Yep. So um, during, you know, if you think about a, a, a female person across their lifespan, in childhood there's not a lot going on. We don't have much, you know, there's hormones of, you know, thyroid hormones and growth hormones affecting growth. Um, but, you know, the, the female hormones are pretty quiet until we start to hit puberty. And then, of course, we get, you know, surges in estrogen and we get the development of those female characteristics in a, in a young child. Um, and then, you know, around um, menarche, which is the time that we start our, our periods, um, we start to see more regular cycles happening and, um, and the release of progesterone. So progesterone is a, is a female hormone that only gets released with ovulation. And then we got, we've got our estrogen going in the background as well. So then throughout, so we've reached puberty and then in those, what we call those menstrual years, um, there might be another hormonal change in terms of childbirth. So there's a, you know, there's a rapid, in, uh, a big increase in estrogen. Then there's the hormonal changes of childbirth and breastfeeding. And then when a woman hits around 40, um, we start to see a drop and a change in, in the hormones. So um, they have been very regular and cyclical throughout those years. But then around, um, for women, typically around 40, 45 years of age, they can start to see a drop in their, um, their egg quality and quantity. And then we start to enter perimenopause. And that, that's normally around that sort of 45 to 50 years of age. Um, and that's a time of what we call hormonal chaos. Mm. So the, the egg quality and quantity is dropping away. The, the part of the brain that controls the ovaries is trying to say, come on, let's go. Let's kind of push out another egg. You can do it. <laughs> and, um, and we see surges of estrogen at that time, often higher than what we would see during those um, menstrual years because it's, um, there's surges of hormones. And then we start to see the decline in estrogen. So it gradually drops away and it's around 400 in those menstrual years and, and down to 20 in the postmenopausal years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then we enter the sort of postmenopausal time where there's estrogen deficiency. Um, so how early could somebody start experiencing those menopausal? Yeah, so I guess menopause is considered normal between 45 to 55 years of age. It's considered early between 40 to 45 years of age, and it's considered premature if it's happening before 40 years of age. And that's important because estrogen deficiency um, is important for our, um, has impacts on our bone health and our cardiovascular health. So if someone's entering menopause early, they need to be linking with their GP or their endocrinologist to talk about bone mineral density monitoring and, and looking at their, um, their heart health and whether they need to have some, um, hormone replacement therapy. Because otherwise we are looking at, at least, you know, if we hit menopause at a normal age of say 51, 52, 
that's about a half to, to a third of our life that we're in that postmenopausal period. Mm-hmm. And if that happens earlier than normal, then there are some health impacts there we need to be aware of. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's normal to, to enter menopause 45 to 55 years of age. But on average, um, in, a, in women in Australia, it's around 51 to 52 years of age. Mm-hmm. It's it's. It's interesting to think of it as being half of your life. This mm, I know. Also, yeah, which, which is great. <laughs> We've got lots of life to live. Yeah. Um, if we break it down into perimenopausal and menopausal, what durations are we looking at for each phase? Yeah, so um, that perimenopausal time can be sort of that six to ten years, but but it might be more around that sort of one to four year mark is what most women experience. So it, that typically is happening 45 plus years of age leading into that 50 um, years of age mark. Um, and then menopausal symptoms on average last for about one to two years, but they can be longer for a small percentage of women as well. So um, so that when it that's menopause is a normal transition. We don't need to over medicalize something that's a normal transition in life. But there are a proportion of people who really suffer at that time and, and they might experience you know, so the perimenopause time, there might be symptoms of excess estrogen, such as migraine headaches or breast tenderness. Um, and we can experience um, symptoms of estrogen deficiency. So um, symptoms of um, changes in our hair and skin. Oh. Some ex- women experience um, dry vagina, changes in their libido, changes in their um, in their hormones and, and mood. So some women, they start to experience, you know, depression or anxiety or where they've been fine or they're having a recurrence of their postnatal depression, you know, later mm-hmm. in life as they enter that period. Oh, wow. okay. So so it's a common time um, for those symptoms, but the most common ones would be hot flushes and, and night sweats. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, okay. Um, and once they're in menopause for one to two years, what should those some of those symptoms drop off a little bit or what are they? Yeah, so that varies across different women. Um, some women sail through menopause with very little symptoms at all, um, but there's that percentage of women who really have symptoms related to that estrogen deficiency. And so, like I said, one to two years on average, but you know, a small percentage those symptoms are ongoing. So at that time, they might that woman might be speaking to their GP about. Um, their you know hormonal replacement therapy um, so that they can get some relief from those symptoms and you know there's both hormone replacement therapy and there are other treatments for example some blood pressure medications can also manage um, some symptoms of hot flushes as well as okay. yep um, and there are certain antidepressants as well that can be helpful for menopausal symptoms too great um, what are the common complaints you hear from women with regards to their weight during yeah. this period yeah. so um, I guess this transition, you know, 40 to 50 years, we're starting to see some changes in the body, um, which actually is, it's actually a natural time of weight gain. And a lot of women will say, it's menopause, I'm going through menopause and that's why I've put on weight. But the studies show that that it's mostly the aging process where we see a, a decline in our metabolism, there's less fidgeting and moving, less incidental activity. Um, but the studies that around menopause and what impact menopause has on weight, um, they did some rat studies that showed that for rats, if they had their ovaries taken out and entered estrogen deficiency, they had a temporary increase in hunger at that time. So they were, the rats were eating more. Um, they also had a definite slowing in their, in their metabolism. Um, and in humans, 
the changes in metabolism are, are there, so mm. that's also been shown in humans, but not the increase in hunger that we see in the rat studies. Mm. So you can probably say that there's there might be an increase in hunger for some women around that time. There is a definite slowing of metabolism, and there's more of a shift to that central weight. So when we so we carry it rather than around the hips and thighs, that more gynoid shape, we tend to carry it more around our center which, of course, increases the risk of cardiovascular disease and diabetes and, and metabolic syndrome. And the other thing that we see around this time is a shift of um, from more, more muscle mass, lean muscle mass, to, towards more um, visceral fat. And that's called sarcopenia. And, and this is a natural thing that happens around this time as well. So, so if we think about what's causing weight around this time of life, it's mostly related to um, changes in our metabolism and, and a general slowing of, mm-hmm. of our metabolism. Mm-hmm. But there are some hormonal factors that happen around menopause that cause a shift in the way that we carry our weight. Mm-hmm. Um, but studies have shown that if women are proactive around managing their weight at this time, that weight gain is not inevitable. Mm-hmm. In other words, if they, if they stick to a calorie-controlled diet and, and increase their levels of physical activity, then they actually can at least maintain the same weight or even drop a little below their baseline weight before entering menopause. Um, so that's encouraging because, you know, it doesn't mean that weight gain is, is inevitable, mm-hmm. but a woman can't expect to be eating the same amount of food, doing the same amount of exercise and not be putting on weight because it's that slowing of metabolism. So so I think it's that that shift and change there that women go, oh, I, I'm doing the same thing but I'm, I'm putting on weight yeah. um, mm-hmm. or all the things that I used to do to lose weight are no longer working anymore yeah. Yeah. or the weight just seems to be stuck and I can't shift it. They're some of the common complaints that we hear around this time. Yeah, I've heard that a lot. So it... How much weight, if they weren't to make any lifestyle changes, how much weight should we expect to gain in our 40s and 50s? Yeah, so on average it's about half a kilo a year. So if you're thinking about over that 10-year period, then five kilos is not uncommon. Mm-hmm. The, the problem is um, for, for women who've already struggled with weight before entering menopause, they're already vulnerable. They might have already had difficulties controlling or managing their weight or a healthy weight. And then this is now another vulnerable time that it could be an increase in their weight. So I think that's that's where we can really assist patients in that area because we can help to break through where the, the barriers have been. So we want to manage that underlying predisposition to weight. And that means, you know, looking at control of hunger and appetite, the right kind of diet that's going to um, help them to achieve it calorie deficit but that that's enjoyable and not feeling restrictive um, weight loss medications can be really ha- handy at that time because it can overcome that strong appetite drive um, and of course combining all of that with um, with healthy diet and exercise mm, excellent um, there seems to be some overlap between obesity and menopause how does this influence our health risks yeah so at menopause we start to see Often um, a rise in blood pressure is natural. There starts to be a rise in cholesterol. We get that shift more towards that central weight, which which um, infers a risk for, like we said, for heart disease and diabetes and the like. Um, and then obesity does some of those same things. Mm. So if you carry excess weight, it does increase your risk of high blood pressure, of diabetes. Um, often we have cholesterol going alongside of that as well. 
Um, so for, for women, the risk of type 2 diabetes if they're carrying extra weight is an extra 12 times. You know, oh, for wow. men, it's six times. Mm-hmm. So, so if we're entering menopause, that risk is going up. And if we're carrying extra weight on top of that, then it just it just those two things intersect and go. They 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 confound the the problem. Yeah, mm. I could imagine that this would be quite depressing for a for a, a woman in 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 perimenopause and menopause just to be putting on this weight. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the impact of of putting on weight or feeling as though it's out of your control is significant. Like what's happening to my body? It's not doing what it used to do. This this feels a bit out of my control. And then, you know, all of a sudden I'm carrying extra weight and now I've got this increased risk. So I guess what I want to say is it's not hopeless. You know, it's it's not a um it's not a certainty that that your risk um, is going to go up. You can manage weight effectively around this time. It just means means being more cognizant or being more aware that this is a if you're already prone to weight, that this is an extra time to be careful around weight mm-hmm. and being more proactive around addressing um, weight risk and getting treatment for it. Is the answer as easy as providing estrogen and progesterone supplementation to perimenopausal women or women? Or? Yeah, it'd be nice to think so, yeah, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? <laughs> Just go on some hormone yeah. supplements and I'll be right. Yeah. Well, for women, what we know is that estrogen replacement therapy does not cause an increase in weight, mm-hmm. um, but it can actually help to not to lose weight, but in fact to help shift more back towards that lean muscle mass rather than that um, central weight. So it can help women um, to, to maintain more of a lean body composition um, and less of that central weight. Um, so, yeah, it can help in that way, but it, you wouldn't use estrogen therapy as a weight loss treatment. No. Um, do you recommend women have their body composition measured? Um, yeah, well, we do that in our clinic here and it's really helpful when we're seeing um, women around this time to say, well, here's your lean muscle mass. We want to make sure that if we're entering a weight loss um, treatment that we actually try and maintain that muscle mass, mm-hmm. that, we, that we're active with ensuring you've got enough protein in your diet, that you're getting the right amount of weight-bearing exercises so we can see that you're maintaining or, or even improving that muscle mass. And it's really encouraging when women have that at the start and then they, they three months down the track, we look at it again and we can see that they've, they've maintained that muscle mass, they've shifted and lost some of that, that what we call visceral fat, the fat that sits in and around the vital organs and that, that infers that, that risk, that health risk. So, yeah, it's, it's, patients love it. They love seeing that change with mm. their body composition and we use it to guide um, our treatments of whether we need to increase resistance exercises or whether we need to be adding extra protein into their diet. Um, If we do manage our weight, can that help some of the symptoms of menopause? Yeah, so so women who... um, Women who carry extra weight are more prone to things like hot flushes and night sweats and reducing weight can both manage um, that metabolic risk that we talked about, the health risk. It can minimise some of those symptoms of hot flushes and night sweats. But more importantly, just have a woman feel more confident and Mm. and healthy in herself. Um, What are your recommendations around sort of exercise? Yeah. So exercise is really important for our overall health. It's important for... um, you know, things like reducing blood pressure and risk of heart attacks and, and improving um, insulin resistance and, and important for prevention of osteoporosis. Um, for weight loss, um, 
nutrition is always more important than exercise, mm-hmm. but we still need to be exercising for, for those health benefits. So um, for, for most women, for health reasons, we'd be looking at at least half an hour of, of moderate intensity exercise on, on five days a week. Mm-hmm. But if you're aiming for weight loss, that needs to be up more around an hour a day. Okay, noted. Oh, that's <laughs> noted, yes. <laughs> noted. Um, do you recommend rapid or slow weight loss? That's really a discussion that we have with patients around what's going to suit them. So for some women, they just really want to see some runs on the board and get some rapid weight loss. And in that situation, we'd be looking at things like very low energy diets or, or ketogenic diets, um, you know, using meal replacements. Um, but if some women that doesn't suit, so they might want to go more on just a reduced calorie diet. The trouble is with those form, with those ketogenic diets that I talked about and meal replacements, those ones actually suppress hunger and appetite through natural ketosis. And so it's easier to lose weight when you've got less hunger. Mm-hmm. Um, however, when you're looking at just a reduced calorie diet, then we start to see those hunger mechanisms kick in to try and oppose weight loss. So it does become a little bit harder. You either need to be really diligent with your um, calorie control and and sticking, you know, tracking what you're eating, um, reducing the um, discretionary foods. But very often after about 5% weight loss, we start to see those hormonal changes kick in. So in that group, patients might benefit more from using um, some medication that helps to cover off some of that appetite suppression. So rapid or, or slow has got to do with the goals of a patient. But the studies show that with rapid weight loss, patients lost more weight and they kept more weight off versus a slow weight loss group, which which makes sense. It's more encouraging when you're seeing the weight come off quickly, um, but it's no good doing rapid weight loss if you can't stick to it. So it really comes down to what's going to work for that individual person. It's a real balancing act, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I know some people are concerned that if they lose weight quickly, then they're going to be more likely to put it on quickly. Is, is that the case? Or? No, that's no. a myth. Um, so a study by Purcell in 2014 compared um, two groups, one that lost it quickly and one that lost it slowly. Um, and the, the group that lost it quickly lost more weight and kept more weight off. And the rate of weight regain was no different across those groups. So that's a myth. Um, it's it's true that there is a tendency to weight regain after any weight loss, but it's not more it's not more rapid if you've gone through a, a rapid weight loss program, which is encouraging yes. because yeah. Um, yeah, that means it's still a viable option. Um, what dietary advice do you give for people wanting rapid weight loss? So we've been looking at very low energy diets with meal replacements, um, you know, either through Formulite, OptiFast, there's a range of different pro- products out there. Um, and typically we'd get patients to replace two meals per day and then have an evening meal um, so they get used to preparing good, healthy food um, and there's a nice meal to look forward to. And that on average helps patients to achieve, you know, one to two and a half kilos a week, which is really encouraging. Do you find... Um I'll just go back to uh, So that's great advice. Thank you for sharing. Um, is there any other resource that you would suggest our listeners could use to help them with their weight loss journey? Yeah, there's so much information out there. Sometimes mm-hmm. I think it's actually a bit overwhelming um, mm-hmm. to, to be looking at, well, what's the right diet to follow? What about weight loss medications, etc.? Um, I really think it's actually more important to have a conversation um, with a 
a bariatric doctor like our group of doctors to be able to cut through all the noise and to to tailor advice specific to that individual. Otherwise, it's it can be very messy and confusing, and of all that information that's out there. I'm sure you've all, you've come across this, but I find I've got a lot of people saying I can't lose the weight, I can't lose the weight, and then my advice is there's something happening in your body that you need investigated um, and that's the reason why I feel that you should go and see a barrage of GP to be able to have a look at that patient from a holistic point exactly. of view. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Look at what's going. And I think that's that's what we, one of our strengths, I think, is to, when we assess a patient, we're looking at, you know, what's going on with their diet, their lifestyle, what are the drivers of weight, is it genetics, is it maybe a medication that they're on, mm-hmm. is it another health condition, is weight affecting health conditions, is it causing diabetes or sleep apnea or is there depression we look at binge eating disorder and all the psychology around weight as well Um, we'll do blood tests to assess for for biological causes of weight we do the body composition to see where they're at the start Um, and I guess it's it yeah it is definitely a holistic way of looking at the person and it's not about weight loss per se it's about achieving greater health and well-being Mm -hmm. Um, that's yeah important to us um Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. You're welcome. Today, if you had one piece of advice to someone to be healthier, what would it be? It's a mm. hard one, I know. <laughs> it is a hard one. Um, I think it's women in general are very intuitive, so I think it's important that a woman um, is really actually coming to a healthy relationship with their body mm-hmm. is what I find is most important. A lot of women have struggled with weight throughout their whole life um, and associated their self-esteem or their sense of standing in the world according to their weight. And I would say that that's a big total lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're all born with different bodies, different shapes and, um, and different predispositions to, to health conditions. And weight gain is just one of those things. So it doesn't make a person better or worse. Um, it's like asthma or diabetes or epilepsy we're all prone to different things in life Um, and if weight is something that you're prone to you can get help with it but don't let it define who you are or how you feel about yourself from day to day great thank you we really appreciate your time and sharing your knowledge with our audience Catherine thanks for your time no worries thanks Glennis it's great to be with you today for listening to the show and for further information about weight loss such as recipes and our range of shakes and other products please visit the formulite website all advice is provided as a general guide only please consult your medical professional before starting any weight loss program